0: take your Bibles. Turn to uh, Titus chapter one, right after first and second Timothy. In case you're wondering, you're welcome, sure. We're going to begin a new series of messages this morning entitled devotion or doctrine and devotion. Of uh, course, taken from this this letter of Paul to uh, to Titus. I'm going to actually begin the series by preaching two sermons uh, on the introduction, and just don't panic. Not two today. All right, <clears throat> one this morning, one next Sunday morning, and then uh, Neil will pick up uh, on the 18th with uh, verse five, where we begin to get into Paul's laying out of the qualifications for elders. A little background here, Paul had, uh, of course, was a a missionary, and evangelist. He had uh, traveled uh, from town to town preaching the gospel to the people of Crete. Um, And as he concluded his evangelistic tour, he left Titus, his friend and fellow believer, fellow laborer in the gospel, uh, to oversee the planting and establishment of new churches, Uh, throughout uh, the island, Crete and island there. Uh, Of course, let me just say this. The task that Paul was leaving to Timothy, uh, I guess we could really say that God was entrusting to Timothy, was an enormously difficult task. Uh, To oversee the work of God within the church of God is no easy endeavor. And to do so in a place where there has not been a church... Uh, In other words, to be a church planter, as Titus would be, uh, was especially difficult. Uh, Again, no church had ever existed, or at least that we know of, no Christian church had ever existed on the island of Crete. And second, uh, not only had there never been a church here, but Crete was a very strange and mysterious place. It was steeped in mythology and superstition. Uh, so this was not going to be any ordinary uh, task, uh, and uh, so I'm sure that Titus appreciated not only Paul's help and instruction and encouragement while he was with him there on the island of Crete, uh, but uh, subsequently as this letter uh, would be an encouragement to him. And that's why Paul sends the letter, t- to help and to encourage Titus uh, Paul knew what a difficult task he was leaving uh, to his young uh, fellow laborer in the gospel. Uh, And so what Paul does here in this letter, as is traditional, uh, traditional for Paul, but not only that, just a a traditional structure of of a letter in this day and time, uh, we're going to find that he introduces himself. And then, of course, uh, he introduces Titus. So he introduces himself as the writer, the sender of the letter. He introduces Titus as the recipient uh, of the letter. And, of course, he sends a specific greeting uh, to Titus here, as he always does in his letters. And we'll we'll see all of that. And like I said, this morning we're going to look, although we're going to read verses 1 through 4, we're going to look specifically at verse 1, where Paul introduces himself uh, of course, he didn't need to introduce himself to Titus, but uh, perhaps he needs to introduce himself to us. Uh, and then uh, as he introduces us uh, to Titus, the, the pastor, the overseer left behind to do this great work. So let me pray with you, and then we're going we're gonna to read these words. Father, we thank you today for the word of God, and we thank you, Father, that no matter where we turn in the scripture... Uh, you always have something to say to us. Uh, and we know that these letters from Paul, first to Timothy and then to Titus, are known as the, the pastoral epistles. They will give us uh, much information and instruction on how we are to uh, set up, uh, to establish the church, how it is to be organized and, and, and run on a, on a day-to-day, weekly basis. Uh, but, Father, beyond that, I pray that we will see encouragement, encouragement, uh, to the various ministries that you have entrusted to us. Because I know that just like Titus, there are times when each one of us feels overwhelmed. Uh, We we sense that we have been uh, entrusted with something that is far beyond our ability to carry out. And and Lord, I pray that in that moment that we begin to experience that that sense of overwhelming, uh, that we would just remember that 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 is indeed the case. We have been entrusted with... the gospel ministry, Lord, we have been entrusted with something that is eternal, from everlasting to everlasting, and, and it is indeed overwhelming. It is indeed beyond our own personal abilities, but I pray that just like Titus was being encouraged here, we will be encouraged to know that we do not serve you alone. Uh, we do so together, with brothers and sisters in Christ, and beyond that, Father, we serve alongside of you. You have promised to always be with us to never leave us or forsake us. And so, Father, I pray for Calvary Hill Baptist Church in this new year. Lord, I know that there are times when the task before us certainly seems daunting, perhaps even overwhelming, maybe at times impossible. Um, But, Lord, that's only when we see things from our short-sighted human perspective, because we know that with you nothing is impossible. We know, Father, that because of you, We, indeed, will be strengthened uh, to do everything that you have entrusted us to do. As Paul says, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So, Lord, I pray today uh, that you would just strengthen and encourage your people. Remind us of the importance of serving you. And remind us, Father, that the sacrifice that we make is never in vain. Father, you are at work within our midst. Lord, you are bringing about your plans and purposes. And uh, we can just rest in that assurance Today. Uh, We give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, stand with me if you would. Let's read this introduction uh, to the letter of Titus. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, our Savior. You may be seated. Again, this was a traditional way to begin a letter. The writer would introduce himself. He would identify the recipient. Often he would share, as Paul does here, uh, a simple greeting. This is a little bit longer greeting than Paul gives in many of his his letters. Perhaps Titus, under the unique circumstances of his ministry, needed a little extra encouragement, uh, and I certainly think that Paul does that. And one of the things that I want to encourage you with as we begin this letter, and really as you begin any letter or book of the Bible, sometimes it is easy for us to kind of overlook these introductions. Uh, don't do that. Uh, there is so much information, so much encouragement here uh, just in the introduction uh, alone. That's why we're going to take two Sundays to kind of introduce this letter to you because there's just too much here to really deal with it uh, adequately. In one message, so we'll we'll look today at verses one and four. Next week, we'll look specifically at verses two and three. But what Paul does here, again, as was tradition, he introduces himself: Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul was God's preacher. Uh, God had saved him. Uh, from the self-righteousness of of, of Phariseeism, Judaism. Uh, Paul always considered himself a follower of God, probably from very early age. Uh, And yet he found out along the way that he was not serving the purposes of God, but rather he was an enemy to the things of God, the church of God. And there on the Damascus road, God opened his eyes to the reality of who he was and just exactly what Paul needed. And he saved Paul and it changed the, the trajectory of Paul's life from that point forward. Uh, Paul became a faithful minister of the gospel, uh, served under some of the most harsh conditions, sacrificed beyond belief for the cause of Jesus Christ, uh, and wrote so many of these letters in the New Testament to encourage uh, Other believers as they sought to serve the Lord uh, as Paul was doing. And so he he introduces himself today as a as a servant of God. Now, I shared with you last week, I think I did, as we ordained our our two new deacons, that that the word deacon in the New Testament uh, is a word that is often translated in our English Bibles as servant. And, and, And that's a good translation. Uh, A deacon is one who serves the Lord, I think I shared with you, one who stirs up dust in his service to the Lord. Uh, And I believe that word deacon is a great, uh, or is, I guess, aptly translated by that term servant. But this is another word entirely. Paul's not using the the term for deacon here, but he's using the word that uh, is sometimes translated bond servant or even Slave. Uh, Paul was making a statement about who he was in the Lord and what he describes himself as, as one who not only submissively serves a master, but is owned by him. Uh, people have a hard time with that kind of description today. We don't even like the word slave, especially in light of the uh, early history of our, of our country. It's a, it's, a, it's a word that tends to turn us off. Don't turn off, please. Uh, but I do want you to understand this, that just as Paul describes himself by this term, you and I need to understand that we fall right in there with Paul, all right? We should see ourselves, as Paul saw himself, uh, as a servant of God living in submission to the one who bought us with a price. I mean, isn't that what Paul says to the Corinthians? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Uh, I believe that every genuine Christian has within them the desire to serve God. And let me just say that right up front. If, if there is no desire in your heart this morning to serve the Lord, even at great personal cost, then I, I, I doubt the genuineness of your profession of faith. Because if you've truly come to know Christ as Savior and Lord, what God has done for you, he's given you a new heart. He has transformed you from the inside out. And that's what God said he was going to do. And that's indeed what he did through the ministry of his son, who died for us on the cross rose again on the third day and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says, ever living to be our intercession, our access to the Father. God has changed us completely. Uh, again, he owns us. Not only are we his creation, all right, he created every one of us, But for those of us who have received his son as Savior and Lord, God has also purchased us. Uh, The Bible uses the term ransomed. He has ransomed us. And the idea there is that he has purchased us out of the slave market and then set us free to serve him. And so that's what Paul is describing himself as this morning. This submissive servant of his master, his Lord, uh, one who has been bought With a price, and we need to see ourselves uh, the same way Paul saw himself. It'll make all the difference in your life if you do. I mean, why in the world should we serve God? Right? That that's the question we have to ask ourselves. We have this desire to serve God. We are told repeatedly throughout Scripture that we are to serve God, but often we struggle to do that. But when we see ourselves as slaves of God, owned by our loving Heavenly Father, living our lives in submission to Him, uh, it ought to help us to understand that there's no service that God can call us to that we should even question. No service that we would even hesitate uh, to engage in. Uh, We're His. That's what God does in salvation. I've talked about this repeatedly in our Wednesday night Bible study. We're working our way through the book of Hebrews, and, and, and God has In salvation, he has set us aside for himself. That's what God does. That's really what the word saint implies. Uh, We are God's holy ones. We have been made sacred by God, uh, made holy by God, declared righteous by God. God has plucked us, as the Bible says, out of the very fires uh, of condemnation and set us aside for this wonderful life of serving him uh, and sacrificing for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we too are servants of God. If you don't see yourself as that, you should. Uh, We have been bought with a price. We are not our own. God made you. God saved you for himself. Serve him. Even as the apostle Paul, you know, we, we tend to think, we put Paul in a special category, don't we? I mean, I even uh, entitled, you know, this, this point in my message, God's preacher. Let me tell you, Paul was not the only one, all right? There's no doubt that Paul was a great Christian. There's no doubt that Paul was greatly used of God. We could probably make the argument that, that no man has ever been more greatly used than the Apostle Paul in the history of the church, but that doesn't mean that we should see Paul as somehow different from us. Paul was a man just like us. Paul was a sinner just like us. Paul was an enemy of the church and of the gospel just like us until God saved him. So we should serve the Lord who loves us and saved us just like Paul served Lord, not only was Paul this servant of God, but he was also a man sent by God. Paul had a, a sense of who he was and, and just exactly what his life was to, to be about. He was a man on a mission. He had been sent by God with the gospel to go into all the world and to proclaim that gospel. That's the idea behind those words, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle simply means one who is sent, all right? So there is a real sense in which every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ is also an apostle. We have been sent by the Lord with the message of the gospel into a lost and dying world just as much as Paul was. Now that doesn't mean that every one of us has the same calling upon our lives, all right? But all of us, as Paul's going to say of Titus, share this common faith, all right? We have all believed on the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ, Right? He's the only Savior, the only way of salvation. We've all received Him into our lives as Savior and Lord. We've turned from our sins and repentance. We've trusted Christ to save us. We all share that in common. And then not only that, but now we share the common responsibility of those who have been entrusted with the gospel. We have a story to tell, just like Paul had a story to tell. God has sent us into the world, our world, to share the gospel. You know, our world's in many ways, very, very different from Paul's world. As a matter of fact, the world that Titus was going to encounter on the island of Crete was very, very different from probably anything Titus had ever known before. Again, this was a weird place, weird people, strange beliefs. Uh, But nonetheless, God had sent him as a preacher of the gospel. So when Paul describes himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Again, one sent with the message of Jesus Christ. And you know, that's, the, that's what the gospel is, right? The gospel is the good news concerning Jesus Christ. There are lots of things that we could talk about that are good news. And, and, and you know, I, I believe it's the very nature of good news that we want to share it. We want to share good news, right? When we have good news, we want to share it with people. The gospel is the best news that anyone could have that for those of us who were lost and undone, dying in our sin, God sent a savior, his own son, who died for us, paid the price for our sin, rose from the dead on the third day, uh, took his seat at the right hand of his father, where the Bible says again, he ever lives, he lives forever uh, to be our access to our heavenly father, uh, God did that for Paul. He did that for you. He's done that for me. We're we're the ones who have been sent by our master to declare our master's message. And that's the thing. Paul wasn't sent into the world to declare any old message. All right? I believe from everything that we know about Paul, Paul was an articulate and educated speaker. The guy could preach. Now, he talks about his preaching as if he wasn't real great at it. I wonder. Uh, Paul was a Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a a well-educated, articulate spokesman. Uh, I have no doubt that he could could preach the message of Jesus Christ with power. Um, But what he never had before until he came to know Christ was any kind of authority behind his message. Now he was preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, Wasn't Paul's message, it was God's message. Again, it was the message of good news concerning Jesus. It was the message of salvation. Uh, So because Paul was sent not to preach his own message, but to preach the message of God, which he did throughout his life, he preached with a certain authority. Did you know when we stand up before you and we open the Word of God and we read God's Word and begin to preach what this Word is all about, we speak with the authority of God? Let me tell you, as a preacher of the Gospel, as a pastor who stands in this pulpit regularly, it's a, that's a, you talk about a daunting task. That's why we need you to pray for us. That's why we need you to encourage us. That's why we need you to to open your Bibles on Sunday mornings. And don't just listen to everything we say and take it as if, That's the truth. Make sure that what we preach is what God's word says. We're to preach God's message, the truth of God's word. We're to preach the gospel according to Jesus Christ. We're not to stand up here in front of you and just say anything we want to say. It sounds good or clever. We're to faithfully preach the gospel. So Paul was the submissive servant of God sent by God with God's message and in given the authority because it was God's message to proclaim the truth everywhere he went. So, Paul, of course, didn't really need to introduce himself to Titus. Titus knew who Paul was. But this, even though it was sent directly to Titus, uh, this was another one of those letters that was to be read abroad from church to church. And so there were no doubt those who would who would hear this letter for the first time and have no idea. And having never met the Apostle Paul, would have some grasp of who he was, what his ministry was all about. And then in turn, what their pastor's ministry should be all about. And what Paul does here in this first verse, he shares with us some priorities that had become his as a result of his relationship with God. These were not priorities of Paul prior to his coming to know Christ as Savior and Lord. And again, I said a moment ago that I believe every genuine believer has the desire within them to serve the Lord. I also believe that every genuine believer in Jesus Christ has new priorities. I mean, I don't know about you, but I I do know about me. And I know that when I became a believer, the priorities of my life changed. Everything changed, Suddenly, my priorities were directed toward God. They were from God. Before that, they were directed toward me, and they were from me. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to do it when I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it how I decided to do it. And suddenly, all of that changed. And those words there, following Jesus Christ, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of. That's a a purpose statement. In order that. Paul was saved for a reason. He served the Lord for a reason. There were certain priorities that characterized his life, certain priorities that demanded his time and attention, his sacrifice. And let me tell you, Christian, the same thing should be true for us. The priorities of our life should revolve around our Savior and Lord. God's saving and sending of Paul gave his life this incredible purpose. lived out through these new priorities. You know, I think sometimes that many Christians believe that their life doesn't have much purpose, much significance. Couldn't be further from the truth. If you're a Christian today, your life has been given such significance. God Desires for you and expects from you this, this, this great life full of joy and peace and determination and sacrifice and new priorities. And, and, there, and there are several that, that, that Paul mentions here. And again, not an exhaustive list, but, but these things that characterized Paul's life were the priorities in his life should be the priorities in our life as well. The first thing is the idea of, of evangelism or evangelization. Paul says that he was a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Now, many of us get the shivers when we read that word. Again, God's elect are those chosen by God for salvation, apart from any merit of their own. So I just ask you this question today. Who saved you? Was it you? Did you save yourself through your good works? I know you know that that's not the right answer. No, God saved you by his grace, right? His unmerited favor. That's what this word is all about. This is about God choosing you for salvation. Setting you apart for himself, apart from any merit of your own. We don't deserve God's salvation. We don't deserve God's gift of grace and faith. We don't deserve God's mercy, but he gives it to us nonetheless. And of course, Paul tells us in other places, Ephesians chapter one, verse four, that this choosing, all right, took place before the foundation of the world. So if you're ever again, struggling with this idea that somehow, you know, I have to earn God's favor, God chooses his children before the foundation of the world. Any of you around at the foundation? How about before the foundation of the world? I know I wasn't there. So if God chose me then, he chose me based upon his own will. Not anything that I would demonstrate to him as faithfulness or devotion. And of course, this salvation that Paul is talking about here, he says, was promised before the ages began. So again, what does before the foundation of the world mean? Well, it means before the ages began. It means in eternity past. God's elect, chosen by God for salvation, apart from any merit of their own, before the foundation of the world, from eternity past to eternity future. So, I said we're talking about evangelism here. The evangelization. That's what Paul had been doing. He had been evangelizing the island of Crete, the Cretans. Uh, and he had great success. And the reason he had great success is because before the foundation of the world, God had chosen for himself those in Crete who would give themselves to Christ in repentance and faith. So. Often people struggle with this doctrine of election or predestination. And one of the arguments that is often presented is that, well, you know, it it, it hinders evangelism. Because if if God's choice for those that would be saved happened before the foundation of the world, then, then why in the world would we need to evangelize? Well, I would just simply say this. We need to evangelize because God's word commands us to. We're to go into all the world with the gospel, right? The Great Commission of Matthew... We're going to all the world with the message of the gospel. Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. He encourages Titus here to do the same. We're to preach the gospel. Paul was a man sent with the message of the gospel. And he went throughout the known world declaring God's word, evangelizing the lost. The idea that somehow this doctrine of election hinders our evangelization of the world is ridiculous. Rather, it should give us confidence. You know, if... If I gained my confidence in my preaching ability from the number of people that walk down this aisle on any given Sunday morning to receive Christ as Savior and Lord, I would have quit a long time ago. But My confidence in the preaching of the gospel is not in my ability to, again, cleverly articulate the message of Christ, but it's in God's ability to call out his chosen ones, to save them. It gives me confidence. People are going to be saved when the message of the gospel is proclaimed. God has promised it. So, Titus is being challenged to evangelize the lost, specifically God's elect. They were out there There were still those on the island of Crete who had not heard the gospel yet, still those who had not responded to the gospel yet, but they would. Great encouragement for a young pastor establishing a church in a strange, mysterious place like Crete. So evangelization, that's a priority for us. As Christians, as a church, we are to give ourselves to the ministry of evangelism. We're to share the gospel. We're to preach the word of God. We're to to take the opportunities that God gives us to share with others what God has done for us. You can be a great evangelist. You may never preach in another church. You may never be invited to to oversee a revival meeting in a church. Just share your faith, share what God has done for you. Beyond that, the priority of the church is to be education. Paul was saved for the faith. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. I shared with my class on Wednesday night that there's a couple of words in the Bible that are translated knowledge, and one of them just means knowledge in general, uh, an acquaintance with, a mental acquaintance with something. This word, however, this word knowledge here is a, is a word that speaks of, of, a, of a complete understanding, a full understanding uh, God wants us to be well-versed in the truth. He wants us to know what he's done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. He wants us to be able to share that with other people. And he also wants us to know who, who, who he has described himself to be, what he has talked up to us about concerning himself. I mean, that's what the Bible is. It is God saying to us, this is who I am. This is what I've done for you. This is what I expect from you. The ministry of the church is to educate the people of God to give them a knowledge of the truth a full understanding of what God's word says so our our, our ministry as a church doesn't stop with evangelism you know they say there's there's two primary ministries that are carried out within Southern Baptist churches, and this may be true of churches in general. So often churches are very evangelistic. They, they emphasize uh, the preaching and teaching of the, the plan of salvation, and they, they, they engage in revival meetings and evangelistic crusades, and, and, and their, their big priority is to see people saved. And, and that's a wonderful thing. A church ought to be engaged in that ministry. But often the criticism comes with these churches who put such an emphasis on evangelism. They say, but they don't educate their people. Uh, They're all baby Christians and they remain baby Christians for the rest of their lives. Other churches, however, are churches that that, that major on the educational aspect, Uh, the discipleship. Uh, Both of these should be priorities for us. Uh, We should... We should reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as people are saved, they become a part of the church. And then we instill within them the knowledge of the truth. Titus was to see that these new Christians in Crete gained a thorough knowledge of the truth, the, the, the body of truth, the, the, the scriptures. We, we now have this body of truth. I, I'm quite certain that, that Titus probably didn't own a Bible in the sense that we do. That's why this letter, of course, was so important to him. We have God's body of truth. We have the Bible. And that's what we're to become thoroughly acquainted with. We're to be educated in the truth of God's word. So we evangelize and we educate. And all of this with a view, as it says here, which accords with godliness. When people get saved... And then they come to an understanding of God's word, the truth of God's word that sets them free. You know what it leads to? It leads to godliness. Godliness. What is godliness? Let me, let me just say, godliness is a way of living that displays one's devotion to God. All right? I think sometimes we get this idea that godliness is, is, is the apostle Paul. There's the picture of godliness. Notice, however, that Paul doesn't describe himself as the godly apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul struggled throughout his life, just like we do. I'm sure there were times when Paul thought, you know, I'm not being the godly evangelist that I should be. Godliness is this this display of devotion, living in such a way that people see Jesus in us. People see an obedience among us. Again, people see these priorities being lived out in our lives. And we have a giant role in this among one another. One of the things that we are called to do is to build one another up in the faith. All right, That's where the word edification comes from. It's not really found here in this introduction to Titus. But it's a biblical word that, again, means exactly that. We are to encourage one another. We're to stand beside one another. We're to pray for one another. We're to speak to one another. We're to help one another as we serve the Lord. Because yes, there are times when it seems as if what God has called us to is just far beyond anything that we are capable of. We're to train ourselves. Paul says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7. Christians are to train yourselves in godliness. This is something that takes effort on our part. When you became a Christian, you went into training, all right? And your training isn't going to end until God calls you home. And I'm not even completely certain that it ends then. So we're to train ourselves in Godliness. Paul, Paul says this in Ephesians 4, chapter, yeah, chapter 4, verse 11. He says this, how does, how does God provide the resources for us to be trained in godliness. Well, he says here, he says he gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up, there's that word, for the edification of the body of Christ. The display of godliness in our lives until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer children tossed to and and fro by the waves uh, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceit and schemes. God wants us to grow up in Jesus, to become godly men and women whose lives are noticeably different from the lives of those out there in the world who do not know Jesus Christ. So, these three priorities evangelism, education, edification these are things that we need to keep our hearts and minds trained on, that we need to be involved in, we need to be engaged in. Paul was telling Timothy or Titus, this is what it's going to take, Titus. This is what you're going to have to do if you're going to build a strong church. And of course, He writes all this to Titus, God's protege. Titus, no doubt, had known Paul for some time. We don't really know much about Titus from the New Testament. I'm convinced uh, that he played a much greater role than he is given credit for. But then again, uh, true servants of the Lord don't need credit, do they? We don't do what we do uh, for the credit. We do what we do because we love the Lord. Titus had proven himself a capable and trusted leader. I mean, that's why Paul was leaving him on the island of Crete. This was going to require quite a guy. And obviously, Paul believed that Titus was that guy. And and so Paul, first of all, speaks about his relationship to Titus. He calls him my true child, my true son, in a common faith. Uh, My true son. To speak of, of Titus in that way, we believe that, that, that Paul, no doubt, was instrumental in, uh, in Titus's conversion. Perhaps Titus had been one of those converted under Paul's preaching. But, but for sure we know that these men had a relationship, a loving relationship. Paul was, no doubt, much older than Titus. Uh, Titus probably would have considered him his father in the faith. And uh, so that, that's, what's, that's what's being declared here. And, and during their years of serving together, Paul had grown to love and to trust Titus. And he trusted that the things he had taught to Titus, the salvation that he had declared to Titus, that Titus would take those things and pass them on In other words, Paul knew that Titus wasn't going to go his own way. Titus was going to go God's way. Titus was going to go Paul's way. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate God. Paul trusted Titus to imitate him as he helped to establish the church on the island of Crete. Now, here's the thing that we have to assume, and it is an assumption, We know some things about the island of Crete. I've described it as strange, mysterious, weird, believing in myths and superstitions. You know what? Titus might have had to approach the establishment, the planting and establishment of churches in a little bit different way than Paul had in other places he'd been. This might have been a very different kind of place than uh, perhaps the Macedonia region where Paul had helped to, to set up churches. Titus might have implemented some different methods as he went about planting and establishing churches. And that's okay. You know, so much of what we do in the church, it's just methods to accomplish what God's word says we should do. And if one method doesn't work, then you try another method. All right, Nothing wrong with that. As long as the message of the gospel, the message of Christ, stays the same. Paul trusted Titus to preach the message of Jesus Christ. Wherever he went, that wasn't going to change. He might have had to employ some unusual methods there among the Cretans, but the message would remain the same. So he was Paul's true child in a common faith. They they had a common belief system, as we have outlined here, given to us in the Word of God. And then Paul gives this word of reassurance to Titus, his blessing. He says, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the reason I believe that was a reassuring word, I think sometimes we read those words and we think, well, that's Paul's prayer for Titus. May God's grace, may God's peace rest upon you. And, and that's certainly not wrong to think that. I'm sure that, that, that Paul desired that these blessings of God would rest upon Titus. But really what he was doing, he was reassuring Titus that these blessings of God would be his as he engaged in this daunting task of setting up the church on the island of Crete. Again, grace and peace, grace, the unmerited favor of God. And not only that, but God's strength, right? Grace, the grace of God, yes, is God's favor, but it also... It, it, it is our strength. God's grace strengthens us for the work that He has prepared for us. And again, this was quite a work that Titus was to engage in. He needed the strength of God. And Paul was assuring him God's strength, His grace, that is sufficient for any situation. I, and Paul could say, you know, he, I know. God, God told me, my grace is sufficient no matter what you're going through. My grace is sufficient. Paul was telling Titus, God's grace is going to be with you. And not only that, but God's peace, this sense of well being. That's that's what that word peace means. Often, the sense that we have is not of well being. And I think sometimes the, the trouble, the anxiety that we often experience, is a result of our thinking that we've got to do this by ourselves. It's up to me. If anybody's going to lead my family, it's going to be me. It's got to be me. If anybody's going to do what I've been called to do at the church, it's got to be me. I'm I'm on my own. I, you know, and and that should never be. That 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 leads to, to worry, to concern, to fretfulness, to anxiety. Paul was telling Titus, Look, it's the peace of God. God's gonna give you. Jesus promised us that when he left here, he was gonna leave us his peace. Not the kind of peace that the world gives, but his peace. This overwhelming sense of well being. In other words, even when everything around me is in chaos, perhaps even in ruins, as a Christian, I can have God's peace because I know that it's God who's in control of my life. It's not up to me to get it done. God's going to get it done. So Paul writes these words to reassure his young protege. Uh, And again, so this wasn't a wish for Titus, but an expression of Paul's confidence that God was going to give him these blessings in abundance. And let me just say this. When you engage in the difficult work of ministry for the Lord, God's going to give you these blessings. His grace and his peace are yours in abundance. So, Paul's encouragement to Titus is God's encouragement for us. Church, I'm hoping for a great 2024. But you know what that means? It means we're going to have to get to work. We may have to do some things that we've never done before. You may have to engage in ministry that you think you are totally inadequate for. But God will sustain you by his grace and he will give you his peace. He already has. So trust him, serve him, do what he's called you to do. Don't hesitate, just jump right in. And let me say this again. I asked you a similar question at the very beginning of the message. If you've never trusted Christ to be your savior and Lord, you need to do that. Turn from your sin and sin basically is just doing things your way. That's what sin is. It's doing things your way. It's living your life as if you don't really need God. So turn to God today. Repent of doing it your way. Trust Christ. Do it his way.